0: welcome to the speak like a leader podcast with john bates welcome to the show With me today is someone that I think you're going to really, really enjoy. I certainly do. Her name is Liz Kislik, and she's a management consultant and executive coach. She's a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review and Forbes, and she has a popular TEDx talk called Why There Is So Much Conflict at Work and What You Can Do to Fix It. So I'm thrilled to have you, Liz. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thanks, John. I'm happy to be with you.
0: Now, I'll just say up front, I did not work with you on your TEDx talk. I'd be happy to claim that I did. I think it's very fun. Uh, I love your message, but I didn't just just to get that out of the way. And um, but I do think that, uh, you know, it seems to me like there has been a lot of conflict period. Like not just at work, right? But there's just been a lot of conflict everywhere. And I wonder if maybe we could just start with that. Like, cause there, I think there is a lot of conflict at work right now. I think there's a lot of conflict everywhere. And I think that's something that you have thought long and hard about. So what, what do you have to say about that? Liz?
1: It's a tough time, John. People are stressed they're anxious. I think just the world situation alone, it's like a low-grade fever. You know, when you have low-grade illness or pain all the time, you just have less capacity to deal with the regular struggles and stresses that are in everyday life, no matter what you do. And there are more of those because how are the COVID rates where you happen to be? You know, right. where, yeah. where I am, the positivity rates are actually quite high, they're about 8%. Yeah. So do you mask again? Well, for me, yes, for some people, no. Yeah. Um, do you worry about it more? Do you not go to things you had started going to? Yeah. That's one small example. There yeah. are so many examples of the kinds of things that are just hard to live with. And it makes us all a little more sensitive, a little more raw. So when something yeah. seems to go wrong, we might react faster or without dropping back to see what the full situation really is.
0: Yeah. Well, you know... Um... So we're all in that state, right? What is something that that you would suggest especially to leaders at at maybe entrepreneurs who are you know, have a startup company, they're raising money, they, they're under a lot of pressure or leaders at big organizations like Johnson and Johnson or Boston Scientific, who've got these massive pressures of this already running business. But I mean, in some ways, gosh, it's almost more pressure, you know? So what would you say to a leader, particularly of an organization or a company about this conflict at work and what they can do?
1: Separate from all the stuff I said in the TEDx, the first mm-hmm. thing I would say is all those leaders you referred to, they're humans too. Yeah. And it's actually easy for people to lose sight of that and just see them in their roles. Yeah. So the first thing for anybody, and particularly for leaders, is to give themselves a little room. Mm. To, I have to do this for myself. I recommend yeah. it to you, you know, to just pause and say, okay, I feel anxious now or stressed or worried or burnt or, you know, steamrolled or whatever the thing is. I do feel that way. Okay, that's allowable. I feel yeah. that way. I need to give myself room for that and recognize it so that I can then behave appropriately to all the folks I'm supposed to be leading. Yeah. So the first thing is really self-awareness and self-regulation. Yeah. And then it's creating extra room for everybody else because they are fully as freaked out as you are, although it's about different things. Yeah. So just a little more room, a little more grace, a little more compassion for ourselves and for everybody else Because it's a rough time. And then we can start to look at what is the substance of the conflict? What is the level or significance of the conflict? Is it small and petty, or is it really a big deal? Um, But diving into analyzing the conflict before calming ourselves and getting a grip, when we're reactive... It actually adds fuel to whatever else is going on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I talk about mirror neurons all the time in my training and exactly. coaching. So if you, yeah. as the leader, are reactive, everybody mirrors up, and they are going That's to right. be exactly like you're being, right? Right. Well, you know, right. and what you said, I I think is so important. Be and it it reminds me that months and months, like a year ago plus. I I was reminding people that what we were going through with the COVID epidemic was unprecedented in our lifetimes, which is true. You know, like, I mean, there were very few people left over from the flu pandemic to remember that. Right. So, and then, you know, we've got monkeypox kind of on a slow boil there, you know, that who knows what's going to happen with that. Um, And then, Russia invaded Ukraine and it's the largest land war in Europe by far since World War II. So all these things individually are essentially unprecedented in our lifetimes. And it's, you know, so to give yourself a little room, like it's not ridiculous, right? It's not like you're being a wimp (laughs) if you give yourself a little room right now.
1: Yes, I would actually strengthen that and put an extra gloss on it. Um, So not only are all of these things happening, but if you go back to COVID versus the flu pandemic, my perception is that once the flu pandemic was well understood, the U.S. at least operated with a fairly singular focus. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew what they were supposed to do, agreed it was their responsibility. The medical profession, the government, yeah, rank and file citizens, everybody was aligned right around this stuff. right. That's not true today. Yeah. So the idea that, okay, there are these bad things happening, but I know what to do, that clarity is missing. Yeah. And lack of clarity is hugely, stressful and anxiety provoking. And I would reframe to say that it is explicitly strength to not react, to pause, to gather yourself. It's the opposite of being a wimp.
0: Yes, I I totally agree.
1: Right? It's actually weak people who overreact and the overreaction itself in a bizarre way is almost like an admission that they can't handle it. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it reminds me of one
0: of the biggest breakthroughs I ever had in my life, which was maybe, gosh, 15 plus years ago. I realized at a certain point that I was willing to totally sell myself out just to have some certainty. mm you know, like if I, if I sent a proposal out, they didn't get back to me within a couple of days. I'd be very tempted to send them a thing saying, I could give you a 15% discount, you know? Right. And, uh, and it dawned on me how much I was hurting myself just to get that clarity. And, and I, I, uh, I invented the possibility of being at ease with uncertainty And I noticed that anybody anywhere who had any real amount of power had just a massive amount of uncertainty, period, forever and always. And so I started strengthening my muscle of being at ease with uncertainty. And I'm still not anywhere near being totally at ease with all uncertainty. But that absolutely changed my life. And it doubled my income almost overnight, you know. That's brilliant,
1: John. First, the awareness that that's what you were doing, that you were willing to leave money on the table just to know you had it or you didn't have it. You'd rather yeah. not have it than yes. have to wait. And yeah. that, that is so human because we feel unsafe under conditions of uncertainty.
0: Mm. Yes, For sure. We
1: don't know what's going to happen. So our instinctive preparation, and it's different for all of us, but whatever that is, we can't do it. Mm. That interregnum, most people take as painful, you know, it's like purgatory, as opposed to liminal space in which anything could be possible, and maybe something even better than you thought.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, way better. Way better. Are you kidding? Right. I had no idea what was available right. when I stopped selling myself out. Right.
1: And every day, every day, people get emails that don't sound so good. You know, sound nasty. Somebody didn't respond well, didn't respond at all, responded in a way that felt like a put down. You could read all all kinds of things into people's responses, the ability to pause, to wonder what they meant and to find a courteous and helpful way to check. I just had this experience, I don't know, a week and a half ago. Um, I was put in touch with another consultant by another consultant who felt that we could be helpful to each other. And, you know, we're all under pressure. So when the person I was supposed to meet did not respond to my choice of two times that I knew were within the framework, (laughs) Uh I sent her a Zoom invitation saying, I took the liberty of choosing this time, blah, 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 blah. And she wrote back a very snippy thing about that she had no time to meet with me and I thought, oh my goodness, yeah. did I do something terrible, which yeah. is usually our first response. Yes, did yes. I screw up, yeah. right? Why would she hate my guts so much? Like nothing's happened yet. Yes. So yeah. So uh-huh. I, I held myself back, I did not answer until I could write this really calm answer in which I referred to her prior email and said I was confused because Uh she had said this, Uh etc, etc. The poor woman was so apologetic. She's been getting all of those weird, you know, nasty marketing things where people just say, oh, let me jump in your calendar. Right? Yeah, Um, totally. Yes. And she just, you know, misconnected, thought it was one of those, and was horrified at what she knew she sounded like. And we laughed about How even turning something down, it's best to do it carefully because you don't know where the mistakes are and how the other person's going to react.
0: Yeah, that's so good. You know, it it reminds me of because when I look at the title of your TEDx talk, why there's so much conflict at work and what you can do to fix it. The first thing that goes through my mind is okay, that starts with me. How do, what can I do internally for me? And one of the biggest things, Liz, that I took on several years ago that has made an enormous difference and made me more able to do that. Like I, I, I do my best to be mindful. I do some meditation. My meditation practice kind of, it's not super solid these days, but I'm, you know, I've done a lot of meditation um, and mindfulness work. But, but the biggest thing I did is I promised myself that when I did things like that, I would apologize because Mm. something that I noticed is that whenever I act like a total freaking jerk, which I do every time that I get a chance to analyze that, I'm pretty certain that I'm the more fortunate of the two of us right whoever i've just acted like a jerk to they probably don't love their work the way i do they probably don't make as much money as i do they probably don't like i mean you know like i'm just so blessed and i'm so i'm i'm in such a great place you know knock on wood and um and when i act like a jerk i should have been the bigger person and so a couple of years ago, when when we were all flying a lot more, I think, uh, and I was flying all the time. And, and, you know, even before COVID, it was it was stressful for me because I was just on planes a lot. And I acted like a total jerk to this woman in line, just a total jerk. And then I got on the plane and she just happened to be sitting behind me. And I was like, okay, well, you promised that you would apologize. So minute we get up to 10,000 feet, you take off your seatbelt, you're going to do that, buddy. So we got to 10,000 feet. And I like to think I would have tried to find her, but the universe put her right behind me, right? So there's no question. And I stood up and I turned around and I just said, You know, I want to apologize to you because the experience you had of me is not the experience I want anybody to have of me. And I deeply apologize. I'm very sorry. And as I started to talk, she, you know, kind of leaned back in her seat and she thought I was going to come after her again. And the minute that she actually heard what I was saying and got that my apology was 100% genuine and I was totally owning it, not putting anything on her. She just leaned forward and grabbed my hand and said, it's okay. I'm sorry too. Oh, I mean, and started gushing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it just reminded me again of like why it's just never worth it to be a jerk. It's just not. And when I am, and I force myself to apologize. The next time I'm in that situation, it does get me more present to maybe a better way to act, <laughs>
1: you know? So you've developed a wonderful practice for self-management.
0: <laughs> that's a, that's a great a, way to say it. Yeah.
1: When you make a mess, you are dedicated to cleaning it up. And I would venture to add from your last comment to making fewer messes in the future.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely my commitment. I fail, but that's my commitment, yes.
1: It's a practice.
0: Yeah, Yeah. yeah we're practicing.
1: <laughs> right, that's, that's all it is. Why because why they call it a practice. We will be human till we're dead. Yeah. So what I love about that is the idea that we all need to look at what we are contributing to a problem. Mm. I also want to say, though, That the focus of the TEDx is not actually that kind of Mm self-work. It is necessary. Yeah. But what I was more focused on is that most conflict, most significant conflict at work occurs because of structural problems. Mm. And then we have our personal behavior on top of that. Yeah. And... The reason I put the responsibility at the feet of the individual is because if you don't do something about it, the great likelihood is that no one's doing anything about it. Yes. And you're unhappy anyway. <laughs> yeah. So you might as well give it a shot, you know? Right. How much more unhappy are you going to be? Maybe something will improve. Yeah. There's value, I think, when you have a log jam. Sometimes if you just wiggle a few logs... You don't even have to know the right log. You know, sometimes just a little shift creates other shifts. Yeah. And so the ability to see what else is going on and not just your own experience in the conflict. Yeah. But what's happening for everyone gives you more data about what actions you might take, what experiments you might run.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean perspective and, and, uh, context really make a difference. Yeah, for sure. And you know, at the very beginning, your story, I love that story. And one of the things that I also learned is, uh, and you know, and listen, none of the stuff that I'm saying that I can't, like, I didn't come up with this self-regulation practice by myself, right? I have coaches, I'm a coach. I don't think that I deserve to sell coaching if I don't think it's, valuable enough to get coaching myself. Right. So it's all been through coaching and assistance and being in courses and all that. But, but, uh, one of the other big things that I realized around this whole thing of conflict is, uh, I had this bias to hear things that people told me for a really long time, like up until in my forties, I had a bias to hear what people said to me for where's the insult in it. I was looking for the insult, you know, and I didn't realize I was doing that. But when I realized, when I finally realized I was doing that, I had, so first of all, that was just a huge realization. I was like, Holy crap. Why am I doing that? Like I'm, I'm purposefully trying to hear if there's any way i could take this wrong you know and then i realized that a lot of that stuff was me making stuff up anyway i'm a human being i make stuff up all the time and then i act like that's true i don't know i don't know what they meant i don't know where they were coming from i don't i just don't know right so till i know I decided I was going to start interpreting things in a way that empowered me versus disempowered me since I don't
1: know anyway, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I'm so struck, John, by your observation. You were looking to be insulted. What's insult? Oh, It's I, a I... kind of wound. The idea that you would be looking for how you are about to be hurt is such a testament, and some of it is the nature of living in society, mm-hmm. the idea that we are deserving of wounding, that we are not good enough, okay, yeah. that it's all right, that we, yeah. even if we made a mistake, that we could be forgiven, yeah. that there are yeah. ways to recover, you know, you're waiting for the blow. yeah. That's a terrible thing.
0: And, you know, and I think it's very human, right, Liz? Like, I mean, I'm very focused on language. Look at what I used to say that I think a lot of other people say. Oh, this is too good to be true. Like, why would I say that? What are you talking about? Why would I ever say that? So when I realized I was saying that, I started saying this is just good enough to be true. (laughs) You know, and, and, I, and I took a course a, a long time, like 10 years ago, and for, for an entire year, one of the things that we focused on that made an enormous difference, I would never have my wife or my current job or, or any of that stuff without this. We spent an entire year giving up the conversation about deserving and not deserving, just letting it go. Right? Yeah. And I think it's very related to the religious concept of grace, just accepting grace. I don't deserve it, but I'll take it, you know. Who okay, so just give up the whole conversation of deserving and not deserving. And I'll, and I, you know, I told the universe whatever you give me, I will cherish and I will take the best care of it that I can. And that's it, right? Do I deserve it? I don't have like not a conversation. Do I not deserve it? Not having that conversation. Right. But this idea that we
1: deserve to be hurt. Like where, like, why, what? Oh, it. so the framework is we all start out as little children mm-hmm. and big people who are responsible for us have to tell us no a lot. Yeah, yeah. We grow up for years starting preverbally, which really sticks in you, you know, yeah. yes. gets its hooks yeah. in you. We grow up knowing we are in the wrong. Someone is unhappy with us, (laughs) right? And our brains are geared to recognize threat Mm. because that's how you survived, you know, in the desert, in the plains, you know. Yeah, yeah. If you Um, didn't,
0: we wouldn't be here. Yeah.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, Rick Hansen talks about our brains being velcro for the bad and teflon for the good (laughs) because because that because if if we were chased by a tiger you've got to recognize the tiger Mm. if or you know
0: i think he talks about carrots
1: yeah Yeah. he talks about carrots and sticks so Mm. if you don't have a carrot today you could get a carrot tomorrow but if the stick knocks you out today, there is no tomorrow. Yeah. So you'd better recognize the negative. Yeah. And that is how we survive. And so we do often assume it in the yeah. email situation I mentioned at the beginning. Yeah. My first question was, what did I do? Uh, yeah, totally. It wasn't, oh, she's having a bad day. What did she <laughs> do? It's what did right. I yeah. do? Because yeah. if you are a you know, good person in quotes, mm. you're raised to feel guilty yeah. at least some of the time. Yeah. And it's a bad framework. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have
0: a six-year-old and I'm just thinking about, you know, that whole thing uh, and how many times we say no to him. Because if we didn't, he'd hurt himself, right? Correct. But uh, but yeah, it's. I mean, I think <laughs> I've thought about this a lot, Liz, that I think it's where original sin the whole idea of original sin comes from is that you know like clearly something we did something wrong here when we were little and uh and then we just kind of get stuck with that
1: (laughs) yep yep i i like the buddhist concept of impermanence Mm. whatever this is no matter how bothersome it is it's going to pass yeah Something else is going to take its place, so you have a new opportunity to have a say in that, yeah. to take action in that. Yeah. Over and over and over.
0: That's it's a fabulous a fabulous framework. I mean, and important to remember, bad or good, right? It's all right. impermanent, right? So, right. And you right. always have so, a say in the next thing, and that's right. You know, this too shall pass. So, it, you know, don't miss it.
1: And it's just like your interaction with the woman in the seat behind you, Mm -hmm. because I talk about this in terms of conflict all the time. You can always go back. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you've fired a subordinate, you just couldn't tolerate anymore. Yeah. You can always go back. You can always reopen, revisit, rethink and acknowledge I'm thinking about this differently today from yeah. the way I thought about it two days ago when I snapped at you. Yeah. So not only am I sorry about it, which I am, I also want to talk about what you really meant.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's so, I mean, now that's, that's mature, excellent leadership right there. Any right. clues about why that's so hard?
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because to say... I was wrong. We are raised to think that power is immutable. We are raised to think that power is complete and that any indication of weakness, we've lost the entire game. Right. The culture has created a kind of zero-sum situation. So, if I say this was wrong, maybe everything I say was wrong. Yeah. Maybe they'll disrespect me. When, in fact, you get so much farther on real human connection, Yes. than you do on explicit use of power.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the truly most powerful, most impactful leaders, are leaders who can admit they're wrong, who can say I'm sorry, who, you know, that that's true leadership. The other the other type of leader is is I think a a poor you know, like imitation of leadership. And I have a term Liz that I call, you know, I got my little TM on it, insightful vulnerability. And I think that's a really good leadership skill to have, and it is really hard.
1: Yes. I want to suggest that all of these strengths taken too far can create weakness and that they all have some kind of compensatory strength. So I think you said that being able to say, I'm sorry is true leadership. And we would all, most of us, say that that's true. And I want to say mm-hmm. something completely on the other side of that, which is that sometimes it is the ability to be decisive and make choices that are not good for everyone. Sure, yes. That are true. That, and that becomes true leadership because it's necessary at the time to keep the organization or the group or the tribe yeah. going. Yeah. And that bad leadership is people who are willing to be vulnerable and never be decisive. Yeah.
0: Right. You you know, you remind me of something that dawned on me a while ago, because I always thought, why is it so hard to just stay on the middle path, you know, to just stay in balance? And I was picturing a scale with two things in each side that were weighed the same you know well, that's pretty simple it's pretty stable it's not like that though it's like a, no. it's like a bicycle tire rolling down the middle of the road it takes all constant ongoing energy and input to keep the tire rolling and in balance. And the minute that you let go of that energy input, it just falls to one side or the other. And it doesn't even matter what side. That's why the both extremes of the political spectrum look so similar because it doesn't matter what side it fell to. It's just that it's out of balance because we'd stop putting the energy in.
1: Right. Right. It's really both all the time.
0: Yeah, and, totally. And, which and is
1: swinging kinda, back and yeah. forth is no good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We all know organizations where people are whipsawed by the shifting from one kind of leadership to the other. Yeah. By the loose t- what I call the loose tight problem.
0: Yeah. Okay. We're
1: going to empower everybody. Yeah. Oh, they made a mistake. Now we have to take you know, it all back. on their heads. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. <Oops>. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Are the structures in place? that keep people relatively safe and support them to take action in the appropriate direction and do they feel rewarded for it and is there a process for creating feedback that is not inherently painful you know it's all of it at once that's why it's so hard yeah that's that why we have jobs
0: that's right yes you're right yes it's not it's not easy it's just inherently not easy yeah and you know you remind me today the day that we're talking is ukrainian independence day which is poignant exceptionally poignant for me um and what you're saying reminds me of everything that i've been reading from all the analysts about the way that the russian army operates versus the way that ukraine has started to learn to operate since around 2012 2014 when they started getting some nato training and started modeling their military more on western standards and the the big difference between those two comes down to what i think of as as being focused on commander's intent versus being focused on just top down follow orders Right. And Russia's top down follow orders. It's like, go over there. I'll tell you why when you get there if I feel like it. Do exactly what I say. Zero initiative. Very, very painful. So painful to give feedback up the chain that it's just not even getting there. Right. People just try to cover it. it up and hide it. And then, but in Ukraine, they've got a much more push the power out to the absolute fringe, empower each individual to know what the overall mission is uh you know listen to the feedback be pivot quickly based on the feedback and i you know i don't think they're perfect but gosh they're so much better than what's going on with russia and i think that's you know this is kind of what we're talking about do you have an organization like the russian military where you're going to get freaking crushed or do you have an organization where you push out the knowledge and the understanding and the responsibility to the edges and then deal with it. Like if they make a mistake to just take the power back, isn't going to help to go through the mistake. And by the way, I think organizations that fire people after their first mistake are organizations that waste a lot of money because That person made that mistake. You think they're going to make that mistake again? No, but we're going to fire them and hire someone else who's going to make that mistake again now? Like, no, that's dumb. So anyway, that's what, you know, just a shout out to Ukraine on Ukrainian Independence Day and the value of a commander's intent organization versus a top-down orders based
1: And part of why commander's intent works is because... It has and conveys meaning.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: There is a larger focus than the task. Yeah. There is a purpose. It has value. We yes. are signed up for it. Yeah. We're signed up for the value, yes. not the task.
0: Yeah. And oh, that's a really very well different,
1: said. Yeah. Really very well different said. construct. Yeah. Yeah. And, I really think there are not as many organizations that fire on a single mistake today as there were 20 there years used ago. To be.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: In fact, I think it often goes the other way now where mistakes, it's not that they are overlooked exactly, but they're not, people don't put things on the table in a way that is simultaneously kind and compelling enough with mm-hmm. enough support for the change in behavior. So sometimes mistakes get tolerated until they hit the point where they are intolerable. Mm. And then you have to exert too much force yeah. to deal with them when, when they could have been handled at a much lower level of tension, distress, yeah. um, that kind of thing.
0: You remind me of an article I read about couples that stay together like long-term. And the article said, you know, you might think that the couples that stay together are the ones that let things slide. Right. They're like, ah, yeah, whatever. It's okay. No, not at all. The couples that stay together are the couples that the minute they don't like something, the minute something doesn't smell right or isn't going well, they talk about it. They bring it up and they deal with it. Right. And those are the couples that last not the couples, because the couples that let things slide, resentment builds up and frustration builds up. And then all of a sudden, one day the straw breaks the camel's back. But any of those things could have been dealt with in the moment easily, but the buildup is what does it. And I think it sounds like a similar thing there in terms of tolerating mistakes versus just talking about them in the moment, getting it handled, you know.
1: May I share an approach to that? Yes, I would
0: love that. Yeah.
1: Different. Yes. So I actually, so I've already talked about pausing. Yeah. I don't like jumping on something the first time. Okay. I mean, you might, you might say, oh, please don't, you know, put that vase in this window. The light is better in that window. I'm not against correction, but I don't like the idea of making something a big deal uh, right away. So what I recommend to my clients is when you see something, you might take care of the specific issue. When you see it a second time, then you make an explicit concrete note to yourself. Could be mental, could be written, whatever. I'm noticing that there's something going on over here. And that's when you get curious about what is it and why is it happening you may be able to address it right then but if it happens a third time that's a pattern and then you're obligated to treat it i I
0: totally think that's great
1: okay so with the curiosity that you've had this open mind toward it because what you're looking for is what's the process which could be a thought process, it could be a structure that's external, that's driving this behavior that doesn't work for me or operations or other colleagues or whatever it is. So that when you address it, you can address it with curious questions. That's great. And language that I give clients is to open these things with, I noticed. So it's not what, what are you doing? What's going on (laughs) Uh over there? Or why are you doing that? Which implies that stupid thing. Um, But I noticed that when such and such happens, you do this other thing. And I was wondering why that happens. Yeah. And actually create an interaction before You say the thing that will feel negative, because when you do that thing, here are the negative consequences. Given what we've already said is our human reaction. Oh, my God, I screwed up. How can I ever come back? I'm guilty and ashamed. Yes. Obviously, (laughs) I'm dramatizing. But yeah, but you know, that chain gets pulled. Yes. So making it clear that it's interesting to me that such and such would be your response when thus and so happens. Tell me about that. If you actually convey curiosity, it's much easier for the other person to own up to what their thought process was. Mm. And that gives you such a much better ground for giving them the correction to what will actually work. Because if you understand really why they're doing it, it's much better than just saying, here's the right way which goes back to what you described as the Russian model. Just do it.
0: Yeah. Have you heard of and or read the book, Change Your Questions, Change Your Life? No. Love because that title. You're channeling it right now. I'm, my, I have a group called Live Like a Leader, and we are reading that book. That's our current book that we're working with. And the, the woman who wrote that book talks about the judger mindset uh-huh. and the questioner mindset. And you just uh-huh. did a perfect example of that, and and you know the power of questions, genuine curiosity, and questions. It it just it's that book is really highlighting it, and what you said now I think is just a perfect example of what's gonna work. And again, it you know comes back to what we've been talking about everything's going on all the time. It it just takes constant attention and mindfulness. And when you can bring that, right? If you can, if you as a leader can be in that place where somebody does something, you don't like it, you've noticed it three times in a row now. And instead of going over and saying, what is wrong with you? You say, I noticed and I'm curious, you know, just an unbelievable difference in how that is all going to play out
1: pro tip. Yes. So one of the things that I see happen with clients is you give them this kind of schematic for working through Uh and they may adapt to that shift from their old way. The other added thing that really makes a difference. If you can relax your body, Mm. Before you go into the interaction, then you may actually sound and appear curious, which is what you want to be, as opposed to using curious (laughs) language, but still sounding like your aggravated, fussy way, you know, so it's really important to be consistent language, tone, tone gesture expression all of that
0: yeah so uh, like three full deep breaths like noticing that you might be ticked off right now letting that go taking three big deep breaths and actually genuinely coming in
1: genuinely curious yeah yeah um the thing about the breath Mm -hmm. exhale okay great because three strong inhales can actually make you more hyper okay it's crucial that your exhale be long and slow that's how your body knows it's safe um there's a lot of science about the vagus nerve and why that works and i would just say when you're in the jungle running from the tiger your exhales are fast yes just to get you to the next breath so you can run yeah it's the exhale that lets you know and then the other thing is if you can, before you go into the conversation, Mm -hmm. literally expand yourself. Mm. Feel your shoulders drop. Mm -hmm. Let your arms hang. Release the physical tension. And if you have a hard time doing that, a great way to do it is actually to feel your feet in your shoes pressing against the floor and to be conscious of where your toes are and where your heels are and feel grounded and then reestablish your body presence up from that and then go.
0: That's great. That's great advice. Great pro tips here. So, Liz, I noticed we're getting to the end of our time together. Is there, is there anything I didn't a- oh, But one, uh, one other thing I should ask, and I will definitely put this sure. in the notes, but where can people find you best online?
1: Oh, thank you. So um, my website is the best place. That's uh-huh. www.lizkislik.com, and for anybody who is on their exercise bicycle right now, it's l i z k i s l i k dot Perfect. And the TEDx is there. Um, there's also a free ebook if anybody wants, John, about the interpersonal aspects of conflict. Okay. That I may think be that... helpful.
0: Yeah, I I recommend that, and and so we'll send them to your website and let them. Your TEDx Pick talk around. is prominent there, so we'll let them come through your yep. website. Um, but yep. you know, I loved your TEDx talk. I thought it was very fun uh, and uh, really good. Uh, you know, it's how we ended up here together, and um, and I and I really appreciate you joining me. And now let me ask you that: Is there anything else that I, is there anything I didn't ask you, or anything else to that you? just would love to say before we wrap up
1: i just want to come back to the way we opened it is a hard time and if people are feeling stressed and burnt that's legitimate yeah you may not be able to change your circumstances yeah but be easy on yourself if you can because that gives you more room to take care of whatever you need to take care of
0: yeah boy. Amen. 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 Short, short point to that. I think a lot of the people listening know this already, but I almost died of an autoimmune disease after I lost my dot-com company back in the day. And I think it's because I was being so hard on myself. I mean, I think that I was genuinely on some level trying to off myself with my own immune system and your advice of being gentle, you know, that It's just so important. I mean, I don't think, I don't know that everybody's quite aware enough of how much that even impacts things all the way into their health, like their actual well-being, not just how they feel that day or how they perform that day, but like long-term health implications. So I think that is a great, great final message. Will you say it one more time?
1: (laughs) Sure. The thing is to be easy with yourself, to recognize that it is a hard time. Once you've done that and acknowledged it, then you may have room to figure out something that would be better for you, to think if you could ask for some help yourself and also to choose how to go forward with other people.
0: Yeah. Fabulous, Liz. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us. I I really appreciate it it's been a joy to talk with you and i think you've given us a bunch of valuable stuff to take away so thank you very much
1: i enjoyed it john thank you
0: you're welcome and to those of you listening thank you for joining us this makes zero difference if you're not there listening and taking it out into the world. So I really, really appreciate it. If you like speak like a leader dot show, I sure would appreciate a five star rating and maybe telling a few of your friends about us. And I will look forward to being with you next time here on speak like a leader show. Thanks again, Liz. Great to have you. Thank you for joining the speak like a leader podcast. Go Be
1: awesome.